Listening to the Talk of Spirit Anime Cast. My name is Andrew, and I'm joined here with Chris. Yo. Today's episode is a review on the Winter 2018 Anime Season Part Two, and uh, we're from the TalkSpirit.com website. You can go there for anime new and old. Great community in the form of this top social links on the right side, and our Part One of our Winter 2018 reviews. If you missed that one, um, it was quite a doozy. But yeah, are you ready, Chris? Are you ready to jump into another? What we got? Uh, eight. I hope so. Ready. <laughs> Mm-hmm. We have the After the Rain, uh, Junji Ito Collection, The Ancient Magus's Bride, Garo the Vanishing Line, Layback Camp, Killing Bites, Overlord 2, and Kaiju Season 2. So, Kaiju Girl, sorry. Uh, but that's like three shows that were too core, that are finally coming to a conclusion. So, we can finally say what we think about them after watching them for half a year. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I guess without further ado, we can jump right into it. Hopefully, hopefully uh, we'll have some really cool little reviews here for you guys. Uh, starting things off with After the Rain, or Koi wa Amagi, Am- Amagari no Yoini. This was streamed on Amazon, ran for 12 episodes, was done by Studio uh, Wit Studio, and was on the Noi Tamina block. Uh, this one was based off of a manga, and the genres are romance and seinen. This one follows Tachibana, who we kind of get a, a glimpse of early on that she had sustained an injury. She used to be running in her uh, high school club. Uh, but she injured her leg, or her ankle, really. And that's forced her to kind of take a break from running and eventually kind of slipped away from it. Uh, but she, during this time, uh, got a crush on a 45-year-old manager of a cafe called Garden Cafe. And so she decides to go work there to kind of get closer to this manager that she fell in love with. And uh, It wasn't called yeah. It's Your Garden? It's Your Garden. thought that was the name of the cafe it's garden cafe uh but yeah so that's basically the premise it sets up uh, so you meet some of the other members of the cafe and uh kind of watch as we see if tachibana will confess her love to kondo and what that means to people around them and what kondo thinks of this 17 year old high schooler that likes him <laughs> when he has a kid too so yeah so yeah chris what do you think of after the rain I loved it. It was just beautiful, um, absolutely chill. Um, had a great, great story beats, really good drama. Um, I I love the kind of um, overcoming a um, a uh, kind of a block. Each each one of these two char- each one of these main characters had some kind of a block that they had to get over to move forward. 
And strangely enough, the kind of the love interest for each one of the characters was kind of the reason why they were pushing through their their block. And I really liked how that kind of came out of the story towards the end. Yeah, I think I think what the interesting thing is because it, it, the immediate thought that comes in the show immediately off the bat is, oh my gosh, this is creepy. This is going to get creepy, and that's that's the initial th- thought process that a lot of people had going into the series. And I'm one of those people that's kind of like, you know, hey, uh, <laughs> high schoolers have crushes with with older people. Um, younger people have crushes with older people. I mean, it's just a thing that happens. Let's see what story it's going to tell. Don't immediately throw it out the trash because. 17-year-old loves 45-year-old. Um, so I was really interested to see what they were planning on telling with this. Yeah, if it would get creepy. Well, we'll see, kind of thing. And I was surprised that... One of the initial things I kind of uh, noticed with the show is that it doesn't really... They don't talk much. <laughs> and that's kind of the, the odd thing. Yeah, Tachibana talks about how much she likes this condo guy at the very beginning parts and wanting to meet him and wanting to see more of him. But for the most part, a lot of it's kind of told through just the environment and what they're kind of looking at each other, the colors, the um, the moods that they kind of set with the, the actual setting that they're in. And I kind of appreciate that. But the more interesting thing that came of it was the fact of them, of her loving him or his response to her, her loving him took a backseat probably pretty early on in the season, probably four or five episodes in, and it kind of turned into more of a thing about... Uh, what you've lost and if you can regain it, or if you care to regain what you've lost in the past. And I think that's a really kind of an interesting thing that you you have this kind of premise that's set up at the beginning, and it's not really so much about that. It's more it's more about this. And it got to the point where I was kind of wondering if I mean I don't really want to say that because I'm going to be spoiling. Um, I appreciated that it did that, but at the same time, it also wasn't really a series that left me with too much answered. Um, so that's probably the only negative I would give of it, but at the same time, I enjoyed the ride. It was a very beautiful ride. I I liked the characters. I wanted to see them succeed in what they were doing, and uh, I kind of agree with Tachibana. Kondo is a pretty good-looking guy, and <laughs> he's pretty cool. He's a goofball, but they kind of established that pretty early on, but... I appreciated all these characters for the kind of quirks they had, except for maybe one character in the in the kitchen, which we won't mention. Um, <laughs> that kind of, right, that whole thing kind of disappeared too. I'm kind of glad that that went away. <laughs> there, there is, there's a lot that I don't think was really answered, but at the same time, I like that a lot of it was answered through means that weren't just uh, telling you or having long inner dialogues. A lot of it was really expressed with uh, the mood pieces and the and the visuals that they kind of gave you, which was really really cool. So. Um, yeah, it was, it was a fantastic ride. I, the other negative I'd probably give it is I didn't care much for the character designs. There was a lot of character designs that were just all over the place. I think the first moment you enter that cafe, it's like, okay, it's like they gathered five different artists and they all drew a character, each one of them. It was, it was like straight out of some kind of, um, you know, collaboration card game thing where different artists make different characters and it's like, okay, Kubo's got this chick with really wide lips and wide face and then there's Tachibana who has a very uh, standard shoujo look to her and then uh, Nishida looks more like a cartoonish shoujo. She has very bright, wide eyes and very round and every one of these characters have their own art style to them and none of them matches. They look like they're all the different races of different planets that all came to one location. It was, it was a little off-putting but 
I, I can say that probably after about four episodes, I kind of started ignoring it. I got used to it. So I wouldn't say it's a, it's a deal breaker. I guess it's kind of like Dragon Ball Z, where Dragon Ball Z had a bunch of characters with different art styles, and you eventually got used to all their weird, quirky looks to them. But the course Dragon Ball was there were a lot of aliens, and so it's... <laughs> it did seem to tr- kind of... The- Almost like they were trying to make sure that they were very, very unique so that you could distinguish them. But at the same time, I I do have to admit, it does seem kind of out of place in a lot of cases. But I don't know. It didn't really bother me that much. Yeah. It's a great music, too. Uh, Very beautiful music that went along with it. Um, Amor's outro was absolutely fantastic. I even like the the intro as well. Um, It was a really cool story. I I really appreciate that it, it... it stuck with its guns. It it got there was there was maybe one or two times where it got to the point where it was like, wow, okay, I can see people kind of taking this very very wrong. But at the same time, it was they were very natural reactions to the scenarios they were kind of be put into. Uh, characters getting really close and then realizing somebody can really take this wrong and being very respectful of that. And I, I appreciate that um, that willingness to go to take it to that point and to still respectfully address it. And not get weird about it. I think it was it was really cool. So, I kind of wish that there was more, but uh, it's unfortunate because it's it's also one of those stories that I don't think it told enough that I would I would be willing to um, later down the road suggest it to somebody just because I don't feel like it did enough. Uh, but at the same time, if somebody was looking for something that was very adult, um, telling a, a romance story that uh, surprises you, I think it'd be something I would probably suggest to a lot of people. Um, people that are in between points, people that have problems with uh, commitment or losing something, that I think they would enjoy it too as well. So, yeah, it's one of those that it it does have a cool um, under under undertone, but it just doesn't um, it doesn't reach the levels that it just kind of breaks the mold. It 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 gets right there to the point where you you're like, oh, that was a cute story, and it and it did have something that was an undertone that does does kind of set it apart but it doesn't reach the level of uh some of the other ones that really the some of the other romances that just uh scream this is a, a wonderful story it's unfortunate because i think i think in in another 12 episodes it probably hit a lot of really cool points it, it's like you know it, it's it seemed like it was getting just to that point where it was going to get into something or somebody was gonna make a really huge decision and it didn't quite get there so i was like okay it, it's not like it ended on a note that made me feel like it was a manga bait because I was still satisfied. But it is one of those things that when I step back, I look at it and I go, okay, well, where did Tachibana get to? Okay, where did Kondo get to? They didn't quite get to some kind of really big resolve. They really just kind of were more in the accepting just before doing a decision. So uh, that's probably my biggest uh, issue is that if I – it's hard to recommend just because I don't really think it technically said something specifically or – or accomplish something very significant. And that's kind of a issue. Hopefully, hopefully we'll get a second season eventually. So I don't know where, I don't know where it's at with the manga. Maybe it's waiting on content or whatnot. So we'll have to wait and see. All right, moving forward, we have uh, Junji Ito collection or Ito Junji collection as the Japanese t- title is because they like to have their back names backwards. It's just Japan, not us. We're, we're the right way. Uh, it's streamed on Crunchyroll for 12 episodes, done by Studio Dean, based off of a manga, of course, done by Junji Ito, who did, you know, Uzumaki and Gyo and uh, Tomoe, who's in this particular series as well, so, or Tomie, sorry. 
Uh, but yeah, of course, this one is a compilation of, uh, I would say, about 24 different stories. It was about two stories per episode. I think one might have had three, or a couple had probably three. But about 24, 28 different stories or different short manga stories that are adapted into 12 episodes that were all done by Junji Ito, his mangas, of course. And it kind of just jumps between each one of these different stories and gives you quick little horror bits. And for those who don't know, Junji Ito is very well known for his work in horror. Um, horror, basically. <laughs> Psychological thriller, stuff like that. And, uh, yeah. I, I I could run through a synopsis, but they're all different stories. So they, they mainly usually cover somebody discovering a myth or somebody being involved in something that is... Uh, um, supernatural or somebody getting their comeuppance kind of thing. So that's that's kind of the gist of most of them. And I, I said in our, our first impressions that this was not doing well, and I dropped it initially because I didn't feel like it was adapting some of his better works. Um, I think it starts off the first episode with Soichi, who I think is probably... I think it is. he's a very Japanese humor-type character, but for me, even loving anime as much as I do, I don't... That's the type of humor and Japanese humor that I don't really care for. Uh, it's very... He's a mischievous kid. He's a total brat. He runs around, causes these curses, and then people... And then his brother comes in and beats him over the head with a shoe. Um, it's that kind of humor, which I didn't really care much for. But I kind of... I, I, there was a couple stories early on with, like, the fashion model and the, um, I forget what it's called, but it was the, the Lifetime Dreamer. It's this guy that has, the, every time he goes to sleep, he wakes up and then he's like, Doctor, my dream literally felt like it was two years. And so they're trying to figure out what's wrong with him. And it was a, that was a fantastic story as well. The third episode, they had the slug girl, which was really, really creepy as hell. So I was like, there's got to be something else here. I want to give it another shot. So I went back and checked it out. And... Well, I can say that, I'll just say that it kind of kept that same kind of momentum. It has, for every one uh, meh story, there's a good story. And that's kind of what I was getting at. It was it was almost like the first half or the second half was just a meh thing. And then the, the, the other part of it was, okay, this is really cool. This is his, this is his really eerie, creepy, uh, unsettling type of uh, storytelling that I actually really, really like. Um, the, the ancestors, the, the, where the, the boyfriend is trying to get with the girlfriend because he has to continue on the, the, the whole thing that the family does, which I won't spoil, but it's really, really creepy as hell as they open the door to find the, the old father trying to pass on the, the heritage of, uh, of the family to him. Um, the used record. I love that one because it has this whole idea that there's this song on this record and everybody is willing to kill each other just to get this record. So they're, they're finding each other in the alleyways and trying to take each other down. Um, a lot of really cool little stories are kind of mixed in there. The blood, uh, the blood bubbles was just absolutely creepy. Um, that was one of those ones that kind of makes me have pains in my neck. Like, uh, like almost like a vampire kind of thing. Uh, kind of makes you feel like you, you're hurt, your, your neck's hurting as you watch the vampire chomp down on somebody, that kind of feeling. Uh, so there's really cool little stories mixed around in there, and they're unsettling. They're great. It's the kind of horror that I, I don't like jump horror. I don't like uh, gore porn horror. Uh, Saw, I don't care for. All these 50 million lost footage type uh, horror movies, I don't care much for them because they're all just kind of jump jump scares or just gore porn. This is the kind of horror that I love. Junji Ito, when he's when he's on his his streak, 
that's when I love his work. And this one, like I said, is kind of half and half for me. And I almost feel like horror is almost like comedy, where it's very subjective. So it's going to be hard for me to even recommend it. But if you like things that just make you cringe, uh, a family living in a household that's just grease everywhere, and the brother's just squeezing pus off his face onto his sister, that kind of creepy, unsettling stuff, that's where Junji Ito is. And I think you'll enjoy it if you're down that same kind of road. So, Just describing that made me... My stomach turned. Like, no. <laughs> You're laughing at me, aren't you? Squeezing it on her face. That was so nasty. Stop. <laughs> so nasty. Um, I think one of my favorite ones, I, I wrote down a bunch of them that I enjoyed. Uh, I think probably my favorite was probably the Lifetime Dreamer. I also enjoyed the uh, Town of No Roads because that was one that was almost playing off the idea of not having free uh, privacy. This, the, this girl's upset because she has no privacy. Um, and then having to go and going off to her aunts and her aunts in this area that has no roads. Literally, people walk through each other's houses, and it was kind of a, a pretty unsettling little story. So, and the smashed story, the like on the last episode. Last episode gave me another Suichi story, and I was like, "Crap, don't leave it on Suichi." But on that same episode, they had the smashed episode, which was really really cool. It was this this concept of this nectar that this guy found in the forest, and. Uh, he says, if you drink it, don't get caught or something like that. And it was really cool when well, they kind of explained what was happening. It was, it was funny. But yeah, that's, that's Jujito Collection. Like I said, it's it's going to be subjective if you're going to enjoy it or not. But I think it it does definitely hit that, um, half the time hits that that great Jujito work that I enjoy so much. Unfortunately, did not do the, the Fault Line one that I really badly wanted them to do. But um, I wasn't really expecting them to do that, so... I'll just still have my Gyo uh, manga to to get that story out of the back of it. <laughs> uh, but yeah. The Ancient Magus' Bride. Are you ready to finally talk about The Ancient Magus' Bride, Chris? Sure. sure. <laughs> I'm more what? disappointed than I have, that it's over. Uh, yeah, The Ancient Magus' Bride. This one is Mahotsukai no Yome. Streamed on Crunchyroll around for 24 episodes. For those that don't know, it also had a three-episode OVA, which I believe is also still on Crunchyroll. I'm not sure positive, but that was mainly a backstory uh, that they released along with, I believe, the seventh or eighth volume of the manga. So it kind of tells her backstory. But anyways, done by Studio Wit Studio. Um, The source is, of course, a manga. Um, Just to let people know, I got the eighth volume, which is the recently released one. I think they they have a, a ninth volume in Japan. And the eighth volume covered up until episode 21 of this one. So I don't think volume nine covered up three episodes worth of stuff because um, episode 21 basically covered all of volume eight. So I don't know exactly. I'm assuming it's kind of like with the uh, walk in the ballroom where they had the writer told them, okay, this is how I would, I would want it to kind of wrap up. I will say that it almost felt like there was a little bit of uh, misplaced it felt a little bit like they were pushing some a particular scene in the last episode that almost felt like they were trying to manga or they're trying to anime original cutoff. I know Chris was kind of pointing out the same thing. I didn't really agree with him until I, I noticed the fact that the volume eight was so far back that it, it kind of led me to believe that. No, I don't believe that the writer told. I don't believe they did something outside the writer's desire, but it did feel like it was it was abrupt. So I agree. I'm I'm sure that they had the 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 writers okay to do that. It just it felt like it was something that was anime original. It it didn't feel like it would fit in where they had placed themselves 
prior to that. Yeah. It didn't. It it didn't. Fit. It, it felt a little rushed. Yeah. I don't know rushed, how to better describe it other than that. The people who forced. watched it know what I, we're talking about. A mixture between forced and rushed, I guess. Yeah. Is, uh, something like that. But anywho, for those who don't know, this series follows Chise Hattori. And Chise Hattori, at the beginning of the series, uh, is allowing herself to be placed into kind of an underground auction. And this auction will basically sell... It sells what looks like a lot of different type of mythological things. And... She signs a contract that that allows the house to be able to sell her. It's not that she's captured and sold as a slave. It's that she allows herself to be sold as a slave, basically. And this is all an attempt for her to find a place to call home. Because if you kind of know this over a while, she's had a really crappy life. Um, she's one of those kinds of stories where there is a child who can see uh, spirits and different uh, beings that everybody else cannot see. She's gifted in a certain way. And... That allowed that made pretty much made her seen very negative negatively by everybody that's taken care of her since her fa- her parents died, and so she's just wanting to f- basically sell herself, find a place that will be her place to stay, and just deal with it. So uh, you quickly find out that she's actually special in a way because she's able to see these things. She's known as a sleigh beggy, and so everybody wants to buy this girl because they realize that she's a sleigh beggy. And this guy named Elias uh, Einsworn shows up. And he outbids everybody else by spending, I think, was it five million pounds just to buy her? And just, you know, of course, everybody can't really stand up to that. He's really, really rich. He gets her. And he leaves. He takes her back home. And then uh, she comes to find out over a quick little event that happens where this fairy tries to take her off to the fairyland uh, that not only did Elias uh, buy her to. Uh, be her his apprentice because he's trying to pass off his magical capabilities to her. He wants to teach her magic. Uh, he also wants her to be his bride. So that's why they get the ancient Magus's bride title from. So it basically follows Chise as she is living with uh, Elias. You find out that Elias is this kind of mythological beast himself, and he has his own little problems, and he doesn't really know human emotion or really how to interact with humans altogether. At the same time, Chise is just this broken child. She's had a really terrible life her entire life. She's dealing with the fact that she's this slave beggy, which technically does not live for very long because they draw too much power upon themselves. They're like a battery that just doesn't know when to stop. And so they just don't have very long lifespans. So he's trying to teach her how to prevent that as well. So, And over time, they're kind of meeting other people, different spirits, different organizations. Uh, this really terrible guy that seems to be uh, causing problems for them over time, and uh, just solving the issues around them, um, as Elias kind of does work for a local church in order to allow them not to be mean to him, and so they'll kind of often do a little project for them as well. So, and you meet the dragons, of course, the dragons with Lendl. But yeah, so Chris, it's time. What did you think of the Ancient Magus's Bride? Oh, this is a show that is really going to be hard to talk about because there's just so much to this. I mean, you have a very well thought out world. Um, it goes into just different aspects. It's it, it's it's borrowing from um, our lore and kind of twisting it to the mangaka's uh, needs to portray this story. And it's really well done. Very well thought out. I and I I absolutely love how it takes its time moving from 
effectively story arc to story arc. It's not it's not really kind of um, different stories. It just kind of moves moves on through this through line that just goes all the way through, and it at a methodical pace that is very very um, well well done. It, it 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 you definitely feel these definite arc changes, but it doesn't feel like chapters per se. Does that make sense? It's episodic and by episodic with a through line, I would say. Yeah, it, but it doesn't feel like a definite slam, this is the next story. It just feels like, okay, this is a, a happy chapter in, and we're moving on to the next story. It just it really flows between the stories really well. Looks gorgeous. Um, it's there more is... like she gets dragged in the next story <laughs> at the time. It's like, oh, okay, dragon shows up and drags her away. Okay, it's Lendl. <laughs> Um, the, the, the one thing that I, I, I do think that is interesting about the way it, it does look good. So take that into consideration when I go into the next part, there is, to me, I, I don't know if you noticed, but it did seem like there was the occasional, um, I corner cutting here and there. It, it, it seemed like every once in a while there was a, a steel that just kind of lingered a little bit too long to me. Um, but it didn't really detract from the overall, um, way that it looked really good. It, it, the, the artwork, even though it is kind of a still, it still looked really good. The Ancient Magus Bride for me is really a, a very beautiful and special show, but I have some issues with it. I, I think, yeah, starting off visually, it is absolutely beautiful, it was one of those shows that I thought was just a gorgeous set piece. I mean, it could be telling no story whatsoever, and I'd probably watch through the entire thing because it was so beautiful. Because you're mixing both the beauty that, of the art they're doing with a very fantastical world, they just kind of... It's it's almost like storytelling with visuals. Like, you can literally have it a silent film, and it would be telling a story because these beautiful, uh, like, fairies are flying around, and it's drawing magic in, they're using the magic. It's just a very gorgeous show that is that is visually telling a story along with the story itself. Uh, because I do agree, the the author, the mangaka, the story that she's telling, it's a very thought-out, beautiful, deep world. I mean, it is, it is something that has so much character to it, it's got so much uh, lore behind it, and it's got multiple types of uh, religions and mythologies and and folklores that are all kind of <laughs> kind of hot pieing together all together and she's constantly kind of bumping heads with different groups as she's kind of trying to live the 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 fairy uh, the fairy people that she'll run into or having the 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 lady of the forest will rebuke the guy who's with the church I mean it, it's these really cool little kind of culmination of all these different types of beliefs and uh and uh mythologies that are all kind of mixed together and it does it very well it it, it explores them very well because it doesn't spend time to go okay chise sit down let's explain this girl who's you know drawing the energy out of this guy or let's let's explain the fairy land and no it's kind of just slowly showing it to you like at the very beginning part it's like okay these these fairies are trying to drag her into the fairy land and then they leave it and it doesn't touch it again and then later on, they'll finally go back and address it again. And it's like it doesn't it doesn't wallow in explaining all these different things. It doesn't sit there and explain Chisei's magic for 20 minutes. It kind of slowly introduces these things. And it's a very complex world with a ton of really fantastic characters, which I guess is my first complaint that I would really give. Is it doesn't it because it has so much going for it, 
there's so many characters that I would love to have seen more of. I would love to have dived into more of, but it doesn't really, I guess, technically for this particular part of this series and storytelling, it's probably going to get into it later, but I didn't get enough of these characters. I didn't get enough explanation of these characters. I did finally get a backstory to Elias, which I did not get to in the manga, so I was happy to finally see uh, a little bit of his backstory. Uh, we had Chisei's backstory because of the OVA, which was great, but really outside of that, you don't really get much into any of these characters, and that was kind of unfortunate. We did get a backstory to Alice and how she knew uh, Mikhail, which was cool as well, um, but I think there was a lot more they could have done outside of that, and we didn't really get to it. We got we got to see how Lindell met Elias, but we didn't get much of Ellie, uh, Lindell himself, so that's probably my first complaint is that there's so many great characters, and a lot, I love a lot of them, but we didn't get enough of them, and that's kind of the unfortunate thing because there's so much to go through. Um, my only other big complaint is that it suffers too much with the, and I guess this kind of goes to the point of the whole idea of them kind of flowing from one story to another, because most of those story flows to another story flow is due to Chisei dying or nearly dying, or <laughs> she's literally dying at the end of every single episode, and the next episode opens up with, oh, okay, she's okay, whoo, it's like, okay, after the... F- you know, the 20th time that we do this, you got to stop telling me Chisei dying because we've seen her dying so many times. So it does play a little bit too much on forcing Chisei to decide if she's worth living or not. And I, I do think that's a great, I think that's one of the greatest points of her story is her her growth as a character outside of the very beginning where she's basically a walking suicide uh, watch. <laughs> to, to okay, now she wants to live, and she has a purpose. And it's not that she's been given a purpose through slavery. She's given a purpose through, and I guess that's one of the more fantastic uh, plot lines of the entire story, and I don't want to spoil it too much, but you're you're presented with a new option in your life, but you're not willing to let that option rule you. And that was a really fantastic point in her story, was this idea of, She's happy that she has this new purpose, but she's not so uh, happy about that purpose that she's willing, willing to let that purpose rule her. And that was really, really cool. So I don't know. I, towards the end, I think she was still a, a danger to herself. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. That's true. Um, but yeah, I, I think for the story, though, itself, um, I guess, of course, the main plot line really is, is Chisei and Elias. Um, I don't believe this is a romantic story. And I think that is a... I think people will still find romance in there, and that's perfectly fine. I just don't think it's a. I don't think I don't think this story really is meant to be a romance. I think I heard somebody talk about in an interview uh, with Mangaka that it was not meant to be a romance story, and I, I definitely agree with that. It doesn't feel like a romance story to me because it's not a Beauty and the Beast story where it's like girl meets beast and shows the beast how to be a human and show the beast that somebody can love him even though he's a beast. It's not that. It's not a Beauty and the Beast story. It's more of a... It's more of a... uh, A girl who's extremely broken finding a sort of purpose and finding belonging in a a new world that she kind of discovers and finding beauty in the thing that she already seen but was afraid of. And then on the other side, you have, yeah, a beast who has no ability to really recognize human emotion or how to rightfully treat people, kind of slowly learning that. And it is it definitely does play off every now and then with some really long uh, gazes at each other. Uh, but it's it, for me, it doesn't really feel romantic because they're both really broken 
and they're and one is technically a beast through and through and it has yet to stand away from the idea that this is a beast that is very very dangerous and it constantly re- reminds you of that so i think if you look into it as a as a romance story you might be able to find it but i don't think it was really a romance story and i think that's what i like about it i yeah i find i found it to be more more of a codependency story i it was almost like a twist on the um the the kind of the tropes that that you've seen before but I, I very much agree. This is so far, it has never shown any hint of being a romance story. Yes, they they do find acceptance in one another, but like I said, that is because I I see them as a codependency. They can't seem to um, be their own people, and, and and it's not that because Chisa can be her own person, but she's not necessarily. Um, not striving for that. And the same with uh, Elias. Elias can be his own person, but he's not really try, trying for that. They are, they are finding, they're they're trying to find themselves in one another, and that's an interesting kind of uh, play off of that. Yep. Um, I think the only thing I think I really have to say is that I, I, I do want to say that I am I am a little disappointed in the series because I was really expecting it to. Um, really hammer on things a lot more heavier pace, but end up being a lot slower than I originally thought it was going to be. But I think it was still, uh, because I was so fascinated by the world that it was kind of showing and so drawn in by the visuals, I didn't really mind it too much because it was still kind of giving me something, even though it wasn't necessarily telling me something. And I, for that, I think it was a, a, a special story. I do, I do want, I do feel like a little bit left off and the idea that it doesn't really feel like it. It did kind of complete one really crucial story to it, which was great. Um, but it is one of those ones that I, I think that it it's it could keep going on and on forever. And I do hope that they will eventually have more content available for it and revisit it. Um, but I guess that's that's what the manga is for. I just kind have to of, wait like two, three more volumes before I get ahead of it. It kind of really surprised me the story that they did kind of complete towards the end. I I was not expecting that to be a um, story that they were going to even try. I didn't to think touch. they were going to close it. Yeah, I didn't think they were going to close it because he kind of disappeared. That whole story kind of disappeared for a while, and then they kind of came back out of nowhere. Okay, we're doing this now. All right, we're doing this now. Um, and it went it went to a really dark place, and I think that kind of again lends itself to the idea that it's not a romantic story. So, really cool though. Um, really, really enjoy it. I think it needed more Silky though. Silky was probably. I I was I was I was pleasantly satisfied with what they did with her. I I was not expecting. I was hoping that they would get into her, but I was not expecting what we got out of her. I feel like they could have done more. I, I really I wanted. I wanted. I wanted a modern Thai story. I wanted a modern, uh, not a modern, uh, like a current time story with her. Like they told right. her backstory, which was really cool. But I wanted like a, an episode of her just doing like her chores or something like that, or just doing something. Which I get. They get, did every now and then, kind of have these little snippets of her fixing something. But um, I wanted. I wanted a little more of that. So but yeah, she was. She was great though. Uh, yeah, and I liked. Uh, the Luke was it Luke the the not Luke, uh, Ruth, Luth 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 how they how they say it Luth Ruth Luthu Ruthu Luthu or something Ruthu Ruthu he was really really cool yeah, I, I want yes, I'm exaggerating shadow. it so that it's easier to pronounce <laughs> you're gonna have comments again I, yes uh, I am exaggerating it I know it's not pronounced the way I did it it was so that Andrew could hear what I was saying 
Anyways, Garo, The Vanishing Line, another series that finally came to conclusion. We have this one ran on Crunchyroll for 24 episodes, done by Studio Mappa. was based off an original, or was an original source uh, material based off the Garo um, content or IP, whatever. And this one follows uh, a guy named Sword, and he is one of these uh, Monkai knights. He's a guy that wields the Garo for um, those that know the Garo series. Uh, which is this ability to kind of transform to have this really cool little suit on, uh, armor on, with this really cool sword, and and fights bad guys. And they and the Mankai Knights basically are a group of people that fight against the uh, horrors, which are these kind of manifest- manifestations of demonic spirits that kind of take over people. And then once they're kind of taken over by this horror, they lose themselves and they have to be destroyed. And uh, it takes place in Russell City, which is pretty much New York. <laughs> Uh, it's a very, uh, very much a melting pot of different uh, people and cultures and whatnot within this one big city, and it almost seems like uh, people try to live within that city because there's nothing really outside of it. Because um, quickly after a really big battle, they decide to travel across country, and it's literally like a a travel across America with just nothing but desolate, barren lands. But anyways, it follows Sword, who is one of these Mankai Knights, and he fights the horrors, and you quickly meet Sophie, who is this orphan who lives at this orphanage, who at some point lost her brother, and uh, the only thing that she remembers of it is that he said something about El Dorado. And so she's trying to find this El Dorado, and Sword knows something about this this key phrase of El Dorado, and so he's kind of interested in her and trying to protect her from these horrors. Uh, horrors. <laughs> horrors. And over time, you kind of meet Gina, who is another Mankai knight, uh, or one of these Mankai al- alchemists, uh, Luke, who's another one as well, and they fight the horrors for a little bit inside that town. Like I said, at some point, the town gets attacked, there's a big battle that happens within it, and then they're kind of forced to go west towards what they find they'll discover is this place called El Dorado, which is on the west coast, so they're traveling across country to go to see this location. At the same time, you kind of learn about the... Uh, the horrors, which are the this organization with this guy named Bishop, Knights, Queen, and you'll soon kind of find out later on uh, who they're all kind of working for this guy named King, and what they're kind of mixing up to kind of counter the Mankais and take over the world or whatever they're trying to do. So, uh, yeah, this was a this was a fun series. I I was definitely entertained by this show um, through the. From beginning to end, it's very much a uh, bad guy per episode type of series. It's really kind of, okay, here's this big organization that's really successful. Oh, come to find out, it's all because of the brilliance that's being provided to them by this computer that turns out to be a horror. And the horror consumes people and gives them information in, in return. Or here's this other uh, location, and it's got uh, horror is manipulating the entire townsfolk, and they're trying to attack Sor because they think that he's a bad guy who has a child kidnapped. So it kind of just follows that kind of route. You have uh, somebody is dealing with something bad, or a group of people are trying to uh, deal with something, and a horror is manipulating them to eventually taking over somebody, possibly, and then Sor, Gina, or Luke have to come in and take them down. At the same time, through the entire story, you're learning about Sophie, uh, the El Dorado, trying to figure out what's happening over in El Dorado and how they can take it down. It's a very much a uh, a pick up and put down type of show. I don't really think it's something that has uh, a through line that's very difficult to kind of follow. It is really kind of episodic in regards that you're gonna you're gonna enjoy a quick episode, a really cool action scene, 
and then you're done for the week and then put it down. I don't think this show will probably be very entertaining being binge watched through because I watched it week by week. I don't really see it being a show that would be very entertaining to watch all the way through just because of how episodic it is. Um, but if you if, if you want to consume it episode by episode, I think you, you'll really enjoy it. It looks really great. Um, there is points where it kind of has issues visually, but for the most part, uh, the character designers, the guy that did 91 Days, and I think all the character designs are really fantastic. A lot of them have a lot of detail to them. The uh, the cast themselves is very uh, diverse, uh, which was, was really enjoyable as well. And uh, the characters themselves are really fun as well. Sword is... Uh, very misogynistic, but he's a lot of fun as well. Um, he's, he's like one of those kind of big bro kind of guys you want to hang out with and take out bad guys with. Uh, Gina is very powerful. She's very strong. Um, likes to put sword in his place often. Uh, Luke, I really enjoyed Luke's story. They really got into his backstory a lot. And his kind of thing with Mei Feng was really, really cool as well. Uh, he got kind of left behind when everybody else left. Uh, Russell City, and uh, he had a really cool little storyline there. Um, but yeah, and I really liked, uh, even though Sophie disappeared at the very beginning, I really enjoyed her story at the very end. I think it really went to places I didn't think it was going to go. Uh, it surprised me in a lot of ways, and I, I definitely enjoyed uh, Sophie's story in the end. But yeah, I as to whether I can in- recommend it or not, I, I don't think that it really is a fantastic series. It really is just... Uh, if you're looking for fun action episodic show, it's definitely up there. It, it gets gruesome at times. It gets very violent at times. Uh, so keep that in mind. But overall, it's just a it's just a fun little action ride. In the end, having a whole desert scene where a bunch of horror possessed cars are driving through this desert and they're having to fight off all these flying bat things. It's just it's a lot of stupid fun. And they like to flip motorcycles and cars constantly. So. If you're looking for a fun little action show, it's definitely up there. It's it's very visually good. It gets a little crazy with the CG with the uh, whenever they go into the Mankai or the the Garo suits and they start fighting with those. But any other time, a really really cool action. Luke's fights usually with like Knight was really really fantastic, um, really well animated. But um, at the same time, it's just a really an episodic action show. So it's a good one though. So there you go. Moving forward, we have Layback Camp. Let's let's go from action to, to Layback. <laughs> Literally. <laughs> uh, this one is, Japanese title is Euro Camp. was streamed on Crunchyroll and for 12 episodes, done by Studio C-Station. The source is a manga, and the genres are slice of life, comedy, and seinen. This one follows Nadeshko at the very beginning. She's uh, currently moving to another location, and she's transferring schools and all this kind of stuff, and she meets a bunch of people through the means of camping. Uh, basically, right off the bat, before she even goes to school, she meets a girl named Rin, who is out camping near the Mount Fuji, and she falls in love with the idea of being out there and camping, so she really wants to learn more about it, so at school, she joins the camping club, who have, like, a closet for the club room, <laughs> and she learns more about camping, and then she goes out to camp herself. And so, at that point, it kind of is a mixture between Nadeshko with the, uh, camping club at the same time, this girl named Rin, who is kind of going out on her own, she likes to kind of camp on her own. So you're kind of jumping back and forth between Rin doing her own thing because uh, she likes to camp alone, and then Nadeshko kind of slowly trying to drag her out of her um, her desire to be alone because she wants to camp with her. So, yeah. What do you think? Not a Shiko, I think. Um, huh? <laughs> not, not a Shiko. Shiko. Nadeshko? Nadeshko. Um, the... the- 
what I uh, this this show has so many cool things that, that that really work for it. Number one, absolutely gorgeous vista pictures. Just kind of these these scenic view type pictures of of maybe a night nights night a night scene over a a a, um, a city and just the the lights, just beautiful pictures like that great pictures of the of, of mount fuji just stuff like that just really really gorgeous vista scenes then you get into kind of these really chill laid back kind of teasing conversations between the characters a lot of um fun little texting conversations that you get going on uh through back and forths between some of the characters and then Kind of this nice little topping, which which I would have never even thought that I would be halfway wanting, is these kind of cool little uh, uh, tidbits about uh, camping that you, that you just kind of toss in there just because, well, it's a camping show. Why not? And I really like how they, they kind of pulled off a lot, how all these different things and um, kind of balancing them out so that it doesn't really feel kind of um overplayed in any way shape or form it doesn't feel too forced as far as okay you're training on how to become a camper you're it doesn't feel like that it just feels like a natural flow of fun girls goofy off goofing off and then here's a tidbit of little information and then let's keep on going and oh yeah by the way here's a, a pretty picture I think the the easiest way to really explain this series is that it's very laid back. <laughs> I know, shocking. Uh, and it was it was definitely like that. I I I loved every single episode of this because uh, it kind of, of course, laying into the uh, time zone of being winter. Of course, uh, it has this very cozy, cold feel to it constantly. It's just you're the way that they animate and portray these scenes, these characters in feel very cozy while being in a in the environment they are like in a cold environment or whatever um i love spending time with these characters it was so much fun to kind of just sit there relax watch them sit down in this uh in the location they're at all wrapped up warm except for poor ren she couldn't catch a break (laughs) blowing out steam out their mouth or whatever and and eating soup and making it look incredibly yummy uh, I think Ren even notes notes that is that the fact that Nedishko like makes everything look extremely uh, delicious, and it was just so much fun in that regard. These characters were so lovable; they were so uh, you just wanted to turn on every single episode and sit down with these characters and enjoy these camping experience with them. And the way that they, the way that they portrayed the uh, the backdrops that they had, these huge uh, shots of these mountainsides or wherever location they were at mixed with the environment of the sound, the ambience, the, the characters themselves there. It just gave you that feeling of being there with them. And the way that they portrayed those scenes directing that they did with this was so fantastic. It felt like you were there. You were enjoying this little experience with them. Yeah. And at that same time, you're kind of learning little things here and there. And I don't think it really spends a lot of times kind of beating it over the, you over the head with it. Like, yeah, they'll have this little quick moment, like make sure you, put this in here and then it cooks it it heats it up quicker or whatever it it wasn't really like a all right let's sit down let's explain this to you for 10 minutes it really is kind of like a little quick little uh insight of information and kind of moves on so it's really cute in that regard and like i said the characters are really lovable the a lot of conversation that we're having teasing each other the uh 
uh, like you said, the 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 texting little conversations they had were a lot of fun. It really felt like you were kind of one of their little uh, group members reading in these conversations. And it was a lot of fun in that regard. So, yeah, it was a, it was a fantastic story. I, I I think they they told it really well. Um, the way they kind of bounced back and forth between having Rin uh, solo camping, uh, the other characters discovering things with camping, uh, the way they would kind of use you know roadblocks or whatever to explain. Uh, get a little excerpt of mountain hiking in there w- along with camping. All that kind of stuff was really well kind of put together. So I started getting worried that they were always going to be Ren solo and then the other girls doing their groups until towards the end. Yeah, I think, I think she had to kind of be dragged out of her little uh, her little hole. So that's 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 all it was about. So yeah, a lot of really funny moments too. I, I really like when Nadeshko runs into the window. We totally forgot about mentioning that in the first impressions. She sees Rand and runs up there and slams to the window, and there's that little screak noise all the way down it. Um, the girls sitting together with each other and talking like old ladies. Um, they had this cool little kind of time jump that they did with the last episode that I thought was kind of funny. Kind of shocked me. So the the authentic hotel was really great as well because Chaki was from uh, Hotel, and so they wanted her to make the urge. Uh, they wanted her to make the authentic uh, version of that was that was kind of funny. <laughs> <laughs> Some, somebody would show up and she's like, "Crap, I gotta make more." I gotta make more. <laughs> and somebody else would show up and she's like, "Crap, I gotta make more." Um, really, really funny though. Really cool though. I I absolutely love this series. I can't say enough about it. Um, great, fantastic characters. Great chemistry. Uh, visually, very, very pleasing. Very warm uh, storytelling. So. It definitely fits its title, and I think it was in a perfect time as well. I mean, I think we kind of had our podcast, uh, last discussion podcast, we had a question about watching certain shows with certain types of season. I think this is a perfect show for uh, a cold season, so cool stuff. Yep. Yeah. And uh, great vistas. Yeah, you said that. You didn't say that. You said that. I did. Killing Bites is our next show. We have Killing Bites. This one's streamed on Amazon for 12 episodes, done by Studio Leiden Films, based off a of manga, and the genres are action, sci-fi, ecchi, and seinen. And it's a manga bite. So, moving on. <laughs> the one with the, go, the sharpest go read the ma- go, go read the manga. <laughs> now, this one follows Hitomi. Well, it starts off following Yuya, and Yuya is, uh, quote-unquote, going to pick up girls with his friends who are kind of shady. Uh, come to find out they're just kind of capturing this girl named Hitomi and trying to rape her. And she kills all of them, except for him. And then forces him to drive out to some <laughs> random location where she is supposed to fight some guy who is uh, kind of a mixture between uh, a lion and a human. And it's kind of weird. But she then suddenly turns into a mixture between a ratel and a or a honey badger and a human. And then they fight each other and she wins. So this kind of quickly turns into explaining, oh yeah, these people are these kind of half-human, half-monster hybrids that are kind of being developed by these organizations to eventually fight in this big tournament called Killing Bites. And so uh, he is kind of forced to have to be her, uh, uh, what do they call it, uh, sponsor, basically. Um, he's paying into her to fight in this tournament in replacement of the guy that is her actual manager uh but he kind of goes along with it because he's kind of afraid of them <laughs> and so they go to this whole tournament and where they basically have every single one of these uh these fighters are a chess piece and their sponsors kind of have to uh, move them on this chess piece 
and out in the battlefield, they actually have to move those locations. Otherwise, these collars blow up, a la, you know, like, uh, you know, battle royale kind of thing. And when they get to the location, they, of course, fight each other, and whoever comes out to the end is the winner. And so, yeah. Killing Bites. <laughs> Can I say I hate this show? <laughs> I it was I, goofy, entertaining. It, it I, is. I, mean, I don't know. How I hate to... so much about it. I hate the CG. I think the characters are off model all the time. Uh, they had some random reason for out of nowhere having uh, booby shots, and they never had anything really after that. Uh, it gets rapey a lot. It's just violent and stupid. But I was entertained the entire time, and that's exactly the the, the same thing with me. Is like. I there's so much about this show that I hate and yet for some stupid reason I kept wanting to see the next episode. What what are they going to do? Because truth it's be absurd. told, it is. It is absurd. But truth be told, there is something kind of interesting in the world that they're building here. And I don't know how to better describe it. Yeah, the Theranthropes are an interesting concept. The um what kind of takes place in the end of the show talk about a manga bait um makes you want to see where are they going to go in the future and i hate that i i really do i hate that even more than the fact that i kind of weirdly was interested in the show in the first place no it was great is the, <laughs> is the character on the cover art that i think was the original reason chris wanted to watch this which was the inu girl <laughs> literally is not there until the last couple minutes of yes, the show. yeah exactly because they, they, they do the because they do the whole thing where they introduce like 50 characters and they go oh bye have have fun with the manga <laughs> And it, may, it might have more episodes later on, but yeah. It, it is. It's one of those things. It's like, it, it's. It, it, I, I think I, I pointed out at the, the, the end of the last episode, I said, so basically you're saying the entire first part of this, sh- or the entire, this, this season entire was show a prologue. was a prologue to the, the, where the story seems to be going. I mean, yeah, like literally the outro like shows this whole kind of fighting arena and I think that fighting arena is what they actually are going to at the very end of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, that, that's what <laughs> it. That's what it seems like. And quote unquote, the main character is actually a thing in the 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 end. So now now that looks like spoiler. that's what they were going to do. So yeah. Okay. Spoiler. I I didn't spoil anything. I didn't say what happened. I was just <laughs> the point. You never really get the point of this this until it all makes sense at the end. And that's why I say it's all a pr- prologue. I mean, effectively. Yeah. It's, I, I think it's, I think the reason why, I, like I said, it was, it was entertaining the entire time. I never, really, and it was a lot of absurdity. It does play off a little bit. And I kind of mentioned, I think in the first impressions or the, or the preview is that this, I, it was gotta be in the first impressions. This show just, just screams terraformers. It's like terraformers, but without anybody dying. Cause it doesn't feel like anybody dies in this show. <laughs> I don't think anybody died. I never really in- said for sure if anybody actually died. Uh, one person got their brains blown out and they still didn't not die. I don't think. Um, so it, it does have this element of, it's like terraformers in that re- the reason why I enjoyed terraformers is because a lot of the stories they had for each of these characters were actually interesting and they had, uh, the, and it wasn't so much with this one, but more so for terraformers, but more so in the idea that the, uh, how they draw these abilities out of different animals and what those abilities will end up turning into. Technically, rattels are 
crap. I watched some videos of them fighting lions and they all die. So I don't I don't get the whole thing where Rattels are super strong. Uh, they died <laughs> every video I watched. Uh, I'm trying to find the video where it's showing a Rattel actually beat something. And all I'm seeing is, okay, that, that literally is in a small cub's mouth. A cub, a lion cub killed her. Um, <laughs> so anyways, uh, seeing these really weird abilities and how they're kind of manifesting them in these characters and fighting something was you really kind of... looked up Pepangolin. Let's see how, how strong they are. <laughs> exactly. Um... <laughs> Seeing how they can skew what what they're originally from into something that's really strong is is interesting, but at the same time, it's like, yeah, this was a manga by, manga bait. It felt like I got really nowhere. It felt really cheesy. It felt really disgusting at times. Um, they really didn't hold anything back, which I I guess I give them credit for. But at the same time, it is also kind of uh, crappy when you get nothing out of it. So I don't know. It was it was it was a fun stupid battle royale, I guess, in the end. So. Uh, I would like to see more. I would like to finally see Inu. There's also this aspect of what is the what is the term Um, justice or or twisted justice that they tried to play a couple times that didn't 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 fit uh, for a lack of a better term. And I don't really want to get into it because that's spoiler. And if you want to say that it was very rapey, I didn't like a lot of those parts. And that did kind of get get annoying. So, yeah. Uh, and the psychotic chick from the the command room was really really annoying the entire time. She was she was she was that kind of character. But yeah, let's move on to Overlord season two. Uh, this one streamed on Crunchyroll and for thirteen episodes. Of course, the second season of the Overlord series, uh, done by Studio Madhouse. Source is a light novel, action adventure, fantasy, game, magic, supernatural as genres. And for those who don't know, the original series of Overlord followed a guy named, who, his character was named Amonga, or Aizong Gold, something like that. Aizong Gold, or something, I don't know. Yeah, he's like this big, huge skeleton guy in this game. And uh, the game That's was coming mom. to, the game was coming to a close, and the servers were going to shut down. All of his guild mates were all logging off for the last time ever. And he decided, you know, I'm going to I'm gonna stay in the, the guild house, and I'm going to wait till the time runs out, and... You know, let it disconnect me. But comes out, comes to terms, the, the time comes around and he does not get disconnected. He's still there and he's kind of stuck in this world. And so, yeah, the initial thought that we had back, back then or I kind of joked about with the first season's review was that kind of turns people away as the immediate thought of, okay, guy stuck in an MMO game. But I think what was interesting about this particular one was that it was kind of addressing the idea of uh, not so much of why he's there, but kind of trying to explore the world itself. What has changed from what it originally was, uh, kind of exploring this entire uh, keep that they, him and his guildmates had made that was full of all these guardians that all had their own personalities, uh, manipulating those 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 settings for those, those characters. Um, and then kind of exploring the world and having this kind of element of him almost losing himself in his character, which is this skeletal... Uh, lich almost looking uh, being so and that was the first season the second season kind of opens up let me let me get the synopsis done before i get into that uh kind of opens up where it starts following uh these lizard people and the lizard people are these kind of they're multiple tribes they used to be one tribe but at some point there was kind of a fallout and they kind of split into like three or four different tribes i thought it was five and all these different tribes are kind of at odds with each other. But at some point, this being shows up that we kind of later on find out is one of Momonga's men, which is Kokoitas. Or I, I know how to say his name. I totally forgot how to say it. Uh, 
Kokutus. Was that Kokutus? I think so. <laughs> Kokutus <laughs> showed up and gave this message to them saying that he's basically going to come back at a certain point and kill them. So they're kind of forced to kind of join forces with each other or try to get them each other to join forces with each other in order to fight this being that's coming to attack them. Um, later on in the second half of the series, it kind of follows uh, more of the humans, uh, the human kingdoms themselves, following Climb, uh, Brain, who we knew from the first season, and uh, Sibas, who is one of uh, Momonga's members. As he finds this girl named Suare, who is uh, being discarded from this kind of sex trafficking, and he helps her, and there's this whole different other group, which is the, uh, was it the Blue? Eight Fingers. The Blue Rose. Oh. Yeah, and the Eight Fingers, the Blue Rose, the Eight Fingers, and how they're all kind of working against each other. And so I guess that's uh, getting to the review segment. Is One of the more interesting elements about this one is that the first season was a lot about Momonga. At some point, it played a little bit into Saltir, but then it came back to Momonga. The interesting thing about this season was, and it's almost like a plus and negative at the same time, is like I'm so torn if I'm angry or not because technically this season spent like 80% of its time with Climb, Brain, uh, Blue Rose, and the Lizard People. And it's like, but where are the characters that I love so much? But at the same time, it was almost brilliant at the same time because it was following these characters, making me attached to them. <laughs> I'm attaching to these Lizard People. And then when it comes to Kyokyotas coming in and, and literally slaughtering them, I'm going, no, I like these people now. Now I don't want... I want Kakutas to win because I like Momonga and everybody, but I don't want the lizard people to die at the same time. And that's the same thing that happened with Climb and the and well, it didn't really so much happen, but you were kind of following them more than you know Momonga. You were more following Sibas and and what he was doing. So it's it's almost a struggle between. And I know it was for it, a purpose, and that's what's so brilliant, but frustrating at the same time is that. It was purposely letting you get used to these lizard people because they're going to be a point. They're going to be a, they're going to be crucial later on. They let you get into what Seabass was doing because they wanted to give you the perspective of them to kind of turn around on you later on when you go, oh yeah, this was all kind of according to what Momonga wanted to do, and it's it all comes to like a really cool, clever punchline at the end. It's just it was kind of frustrating leading up to that because I was like, I don't know why they're doing this, but eventually it shows you why they're doing it, and so it becomes clever. So. The, the 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 thing that I loved about it was the fact that I, I remember a couple of seasons ago, maybe it was last season, or, there was a show that was trying to do exactly what this show is doing, um, but it failed it miserably. And, and we were complaining about the fact that it, it the show, this show does, it, it plays in the gray. And how it's doing that is juggling between um this character or that character and it and it and it points out this is the bad guys and these are the guys that are kind of your um for a lack of a better term they're your um anti-hero you they're the character that you want to vote or you want to vote for but you know technically they are evil and so how do they play that off you've got to be able to um relate to them still but you also know that they are trying to do a certain specific thing. And so you have to have that little bit of humanity and still a little bit of um, playing on the fringe to make it look like they're evil when they're not actually evil. And that's what Momonga pulls off just perfectly. 
Um, Sebas pulls off just absolutely phenomenally. I love Sebas. He's so well done. Um, and how they play play on that. Um, Demiurg, it, it, it becomes more and more interesting as time goes on. I love Shelter and how they played off of her. Um, you've got pointing out the, the, the breaking the fingernail. I love that scene. It was absolutely phenomenal. I wish she had to become a chair. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I love the, the way this show just toys with the, um, being right there on the edge of, uh, portraying an evil, but it's not actually evil. It's, it's all just a farce in a, in a, in a, for lack of a better term. And I love how they play on that. And all these characters are actually not all that bad, and that's that's what I think is it it, it it balances so well, which which is really really hard for a show like this to pull off, is playing on that gray, making them kind of humanized just enough to make you go, okay, I can relate to that, and yet still keeping that idea of technically quote unquote these are the evil characters. And that that is and then having that stark contrast of a group, i.e. the eight fingers that are an actual evil group to place up against them. And then you also have your quote unquote good guys or a character who is another gray character in 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 the mix of the good characters. So I really like how they pulled it off. I, I, I think it's can't get much, much worse from here. It does. It does kind of play very well the element of uh, contrasting characters, contrasting the characters, and what's what's dark and what's really truly dark. Uh, and it does so well in kind of portraying uh, overpowered characters. Like normally, because it pops at the top of my head, One Punch Man didn't really care too much for him as a overpowered character. Um, whereas this one works for me because it's. Not so much the the it's not too much relying on it to be purely comedy. It's more showing that they are a strong group, but it's it's not to the point where everything seems like it's useless. Um, I loved when Demiurg comes up and he says to bow to the lizards, and they all have to bow. It's it's just that that's overpowered. <laughs> uh, Shaltir uh, again blocking uh, attacks with a, her single fingernail. Uh, Kakutas taking on the their strongest lizard man they actually have. Uh, uh, Sebas going in there to these bad guys and literally just sh- punching all their faces off. Literally, <laughs> uh, there's there's an element of how overpowered these characters are, but they're still so enjoyable to see, especially when you're seeing truly bad people, and they come in there and they literally just wreck them. It's just it's some for some reason they just pulled off so well. So, um, but at the same time, it's it's also kind of scary because like i said earlier they they make you love these other characters and then you're suddenly realizing that they're going up against them and you're like oh no i don't want any of these blue rose people to die but at the same time i know they can't f- defeat who they're going up against they literally are going to lose how is this going to turn out in the end so to be able to give me that sinking feeling of like i know what this person's going up against and they know that they cannot win but i don't want them to lose uh, it was excellent in my in my in my mentality. So, uh, a lot of really fantastic characters, and it it spends so much time kind of delving into each one of them, and to have it kind of come into something really cool in the end was was fantastic. So, and I, I loved how it didn't really hold back this season. <laughs> we had we had lizard porn. Yes, we did. We <laughs> so, had lizard porn. So keep that in mind. There is lizard porn. I love that scene where they're kind of uh, who's going to explain this to the 
the the twins. <laughs> and that's, that's another thing with the overpoweredness. They have like the whole twins going into this random uh, mansion and asking for the the head of the household and just kind of just clubs the person in the leg because they're so overpowered. They just kind of wreck things. Even even the little caster boy just literally breaks somebody's leg by hitting it with a cane. Um, yeah. Lived uh, Krush. Krush was a lot of fun. Uh, her and her and uh, Zaryasu was the 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 laser guy that you kind of follow the entire first part. It was their little their little journey was a lot of fun. Uh, getting into I don't Suwade. know how they pulled off Krush becoming so adorable. I that that just blows my mind. I just I don't I don't get it. Getting into Suwade and I again uh, appreciate they didn't really hold back on what all was kind of happening to her and. Where she was kind of being pulled out of was was really incredible. With with Sibas was was a really cool little story. Um, another one of my favorite parts was when in the earlier segments somebody had to be resurrected, and I really loved the scene after that resurrection. It was really 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 powerful scene. There was a, a lot of really fantastic scenes throughout this entire season, and and I'm once again sad to see it's over. And I hope that. Even though I joke about the fact that Madhouse likes to start a lot of shows and not finish them, I hope this is one of those ones that they keep keep hitting on because um, I want more of it. I constantly want more of it. So I don't know. Maybe I might finally pick up the light novel. <laughs> I always say that every single time. But uh, you said haven't more. even read your ReZeros and your Grimgar. You want to start another one? I'm still finishing Spice and Wolf. So yeah, we'll get there eventually. One of these days, I'll have all the time in the world, right? Right. I still am reading my book and I haven't gotten that. Your No Game No Lives up there. All six volumes (sighs) just sitting there. I'll get to those eventually. (laughs) (sighs) It's an incredible series. Uh, I love the characters. I love how it plays with basically the anti-hero, the very dark nature of this overlord and what they're kind of doing, even though half the time you feel like they're hurting people that you really, really like and you think are good people. Um, it ends up turning it around on you constantly, and it's really fantastic in that regard. So, I want more of it. I miss, I'll miss it. But uh, it's a fantastic series. And if you haven't checked out the series yet, check out the first season. Check out the second season. It is great. brilliant how they they pull off making you like opposing factions. That, that yeah. is just no matter how you look at it, it's awesome. Except for the eight, they can die. Don't care about them. I, yeah. <laughs> um. But yeah, like I said, just keep in mind it is it is violent in certain regards. It does get into sex trafficking and um, pretty heavy themes. So, and lizard porn, and lizard porn. The <laughs> <laughs> uh, last one we have for review today is Kaiju Girls second season or Kaiju Girls Ultra Kaiju uh, Jijunka Jijinka Kaikaku second season. This one streamed on uh, Crunchyroll and for twelve episodes. Done by Studio Puyo Kai. And this is, of course, an original series based off of, of course, the kaijus, the, the big monster things that they have somehow managed to turn into cute moe girls and then turn into a little chibi show where basically girls get bestowed the power of the kaijus and they can either go crazy or they can learn to control that power and join this organization where they can activate it to fight bad guys or shadows that these shadows that are kind of spread throughout the world that corrupt people and sometimes corrupt other kaiju girls into submission and then do bad things. So, yeah. This one, for the most part, um, unlike the first season, which was kind of like just random skits with the characters and what they were doing, 
This one were kind of focused strictly on Guts, who was one of the kaiju girls, and how she was very quickly in the series uh, manipulated by a shadow, and then they had to go after this uh, kind of doppelganger that was created from her. And uh, it's a short series, so that's literally the entire story. <laughs> but uh, it they was tried to add a story to our short. Yeah. What are you? Th- what are you thinking? Yeah, but I think that was kind of a downer. It was still cute. It was still fun. But at the same time, this season compared to the first season was not as good, in my opinion, just because it was more serious. It was like literally, here's a bad doppelganger. We have to go out of the doppelganger. Uh, cute, chibi uh, action scenes. And then it was kind of over. So I was a little disappointed in this season because I wanted more cute comedy versus kind of trying to tell a story. So but it was still it was still fun. If you if you watch Kaiju Girls, go watch the first season. It's a, it's a lot of fun. Um, but if you like the characters, you'll probably want to watch the second season. So, and it literally takes like what thirty minutes of your time. So, yeah, it, the, the the second season they were trying to. I I I seen that they were trying to do that. Uh, it kind of did this little overcoming your your own um, uh, accepting help is really accept, a, a yeah, lot of accepting it. Help, helping help and 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 it, so it tried to do the kind of magical girl tropes but it, and it was cute and it worked out decently it was it was fun yeah why is that a magical girl trope that's just a that's just a trope in general is that a, why is everything going to be magical the power, fri- the power of everything friendship has, overcomes all ma- that's not <laughs> magical girls exclusive these are magical girls what are you talking about no yes they are no they're kaiju girls <laughs> they're kaiju girls yes there's no magic in kaiju. It's just kaiju. The gotcha. power, the power of I know, kaiju. I, I know, Andrew. Um, They're totally not magical girls. They don't have a contract. They don't have a, a transformation mm-hmm. scene. No, they don't have none of that. Nothing. I still got to kick out the fact that they transform in their normal size and then they go back to chibi. <laughs> um, I still want some of the figures of those characters. They're really, really cute. But yeah, that's that's it. Uh, that's Kaiju Girls season two. Like I said, it's just like a thirty minute short. So I literally we, we literally can't spend reviewing more than thirty minutes talking about it because you could just watch it. Uh, but yeah, that's that's all the shows we're reviewing today. Um, we still have like eight or so more with the next se- uh, next week. So look forward to our third part of our winter twenty eighteen anime season reviews. Um, probably more of the fluffy shows in the next episode. I'm not sure if we have much. And we still have like March comes in like a lion, so that'll be a heavy one. But uh, yeah, look forward to that, and we hope you guys enjoy. Oh yeah, and Violet Evergarden, we're actually watching that. We're nearly done with that one, so that's cool. We'll get a chance to review that. Thanks Netflix for actually releasing it. <laughs> but yeah, we hope you guys enjoy this episode, this winter 2018 season review part two. We hope you guys enjoyed. And again, we're at TakuSpirit.com and go there for anime new and old. Right, community and form links, form links at the top, social media links on the right side. All that good stuff, and y'all take care. Oos.
Uh, Ancient Magus Pride is... <laughs> it's not a sneeze. 